Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events. Welcome to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Here, we settle into the murky, tangled, and freaking hard parts of life to restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do, and the world around us. If we can't fix what's wrong, then our grandchildren inherit it. In order to fix what's wrong, we have to talk about it. And we can't move that conversation forward if we're not willing to be real about where we are now. We have to push on the edges of what it means to connect. Otherwise, nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, and I'm here to guide you through a series of radically honest conversations about what it means to be truly human in all of its messy, beautiful, hilarious, and heartbreaking glory. In our collective effort of looking inward, we're starting to do the outward work to reconnect the world. While these discussions will guide you into the connectfulness practice, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. If something in this episode touches you, reach out. That's where you initiate the ripple that restores relationships. You can learn more about my Connectfulness Counseling Practice and our collective for therapists in private practice at connectfulness.com. Before we dive in to today's episode, I want to share with you a new project that I'm really excited about. This October 24th and 25th, I will be co-facilitating a essential skills relationship boot camp that is authorized by Terry Reels Relational Life Institute. Join us for a two-day online weekend relational boot camp for couples, individuals, and also for therapists who are training in the relational life model. Through a combination of lecture, role play, small group exercises, and personal work, this workshop will help you to attain the relationships that you want in your life. Therapists can come to participate in this workshop and learn firsthand the tools and techniques that you will ultimately teach your own clients. There's no observation for therapists at this workshop. Everyone's a participant, so come either on your own or with your own partner. Relational Life Therapists in Training may count attending this boot camp towards certification requirements, and CEs will be available. Find more information at connectfulness.com offerings. I hope you'll join me. All right, let's dive in. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here today with Sheena Tubbs, a relational trauma and love addiction expert coach and a licensed professional counselor based out of Houston, Texas. She's the founder of Black Girls Heal, an online community dedicated to helping women of color break the cycles of unavailable relationships and love addiction, heal unresolved trauma, and improve their self-love to make way for the love that they want. With these specializations, Sheena hosts the Black Girls Heal podcast, which talks about all things love addiction, intimacy, attachment, and healing internal wounds. Her coaching program, housed under the Recovery School, gives women proven and tested systems to break these cycles and change their life. Welcome, Sheena. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so glad that we're having this opportunity to gather together virtually like this and have this conversation. 
Yeah. I haven't told you this, but your um, podcast has been a favorite of mine for years. So this is so great. Oh, I'm so excited to hear that. And I am so taken by your work and your voice, um, both in the more personal way that you put your words and your voice together and in your professional work. I have really been um, following you and enjoying following you for quite some time. So I'm also very excited to have this conversation. (laughs) Yes. I would love to talk to you about all things relational trauma and childhood wounds and love addiction. Maybe a good place to begin is what this all means to you, how you conceptualize it. And how did you get your start looking into this part of the work? Yeah, so I got into this work because I am the woman that I serve. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a grateful recovery sex and love addict. um, And it was only through me going through all of the ups and downs of wondering what was wrong with me and why I couldn't just get it right. I I was still having these persistent problems with relationships when on the outside, everything felt, felt good. I thought I felt good. Um, and just battling with that shame. And mm. so once I got words for it, um, it released so much of the pressure, so much of the confusion. I finally felt like I belonged and being able to find my people with other women who were normal, just like me, but just um, our trauma manifested differently um, or actually in a very common way. And and so over time, after I did my healing process or through my healing process, I created my platforms to help other women get free as well. Mm-hmm. I think my story kind of is has, has so many similar ties to yours. And one of the things that I just heard you say that um, resonates so deeply for me, and I'm thinking also for many of the clients that we both serve, is that once you got the words for it, it released the pressure and the confusion. Mm-hmm. I mean, that... I don't know that our listeners who haven't done this aspect of the work, and we might have to explain kind of a little bit more of what this work is, Mm -hmm. but those who haven't done this work might not understand how important it is to get the story straight. Right. Right. Yeah. There's so, so many parts of it. um, But the main ones that come to mind are getting language, language around my family trauma. So um, getting language around putting words to what happened and what didn't happen to me, Um, you know, the impact of childhood emotional neglect and how that is just as heavy of a trauma as, um, you know, physical abuse or sexual abuse and um, the self-doubt and um, the self-loathing that it will create that will manifest in other ways. And then also um, normalizing the language around what happens when you are in persistent um, love relationships or love avoidant relationships and where that comes from, that it's not as simple as just stop it or um, you should just love yourself, which was a refrain that I heard over and over and over again when I'm like, I am loving myself. And really this was just a recreation of earlier trauma of being abandoned, rejected and seeking out people who would do the same in hopes that it would turn out differently. You, you tied that together so nicely there because that was one of the questions that I, that was coming up for me as, as you were speaking. And then you, you went right there. It's about how that early trauma manifests in our adult relationships. 
mm-hmm. and how we start to replicate those old stories in hopes that we're going to do it differently this time. Right. Yeah. How do you notice that this often shows up in your office? Mm-hmm. At what point, where's the pain? Where do people come in and say something is up? Yeah. So because of how I advertise my, my niche, women typically come to me when they're at the cusp of heartbreak. Um, so they're either currently, and actually not even currently, they're at the point of a relationship where they've tried everything to get this person to stay, to change, to choose them. And that person is exiting or being avoided right now, or they've just finished a breakup and they are at what they feel like is their bottom. They don't want to continue to do this. And they realize that it must be me. Um, Most of the time, this is a really hard place for the women I serve to come to because they're all super smart. They, they will read all the books and they'll read all the articles and they will go to women empowerment seminars and do it themselves. And because we're taught that relationship issues are common sense issues, right? Like it's just about you being able to logically understand A plus B equals C and getting a formula and then everything will be fixed and, and missing out on where the actual source of these problems come from. So after they've done all the things, done all the tools, done all the tricks, and they realize they've come to the end of themselves, that's when they come to see me. And then what does your work look like from that point? They come in in this place of heartbreak. They've tried all the things that they've tried to do in the past and you do something different. Yeah. Yeah. So what we do first, um, so what I'll talk about what I used to do when I would do therapy only and what I do now in coaching. So mm-hmm. when women would come to me um, for my therapy room, we would talk, of course, about what's going on. And, and then the first question would be about, so what's, tell me about your family. Tell me how you grew up. And they'll tell me about mom. They'll tell me about dad. Um, maybe they'll minimize um, the things that happened and didn't happen, especially when it comes to emotional neglect, you know, they'll make, um, excuses or justifications because, you know, um, half the women that see me had really want to expect the best of the parents. And the other half, of course, have very um, intense traumas. But um, for the most part, wanting to kind of play down the pain that happened to them because they can, they can uh, rationalize it now with their adult brain. But what we do is, or what I do is I say, okay, well, this is why this is with this person or these partners, um, you're recreating this cycle with mom and dad or with grandma and grandpa, whoever the person is. And it usually is a big revelation for them. Um, Even if they know that something probably happened before because they heard it from someone, they're usually stumped with, but I don't know why it keeps happening if I know that I've been healed from it. When it comes to coaching practice, I get women to stop using these relationships to self-medicate because these unhealthy relationships or these dysfunctional um, patterns are really just a symptom of a deeper problem, right? So they're using the fantasy of these relationships or the fantasy of love as self-medication. So we go into no contacts. We go straight into let's do a detox, let's do a withdrawal, and let's see what comes up as you're doing this, let's look at the ways that you may try to 
cheat the system, right? And why that happened, why you're still trying to connect um, to people that are unhealthy for you um, and the pain that you're trying to, to heal this way. Do you notice common threads in the pain? The common threads in the pain um, is for the most part, childhood emotional neglect. So the, the feeling of being not enough, being not chosen, um, being easily forgotten and really needing someone to come in and save them from that feeling. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, speaking personally, it's also that feeling of just being invisible, being told that your truth isn't necessarily the truth. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, there, there's all these different ways that that childhood emotional neglect shows up. And I think for many of us who are doing the recovery work, um, because that's really what this is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for many of us who are in the work doing the recovery, to heal that childhood emotional neglect and to live in more connected relationships, it's getting to that point where we're willing to see that there was that neglect, where we can open ourselves to that story being reframed. Because as you were talking before, the minimization of that being what happened in childhood is often one of the places where things are really stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the ability of being forgotten. So it's, it's, it's such a catch 22. So on one hand, their biggest pain point is feeling overlooked and, and forgotten. While at the same time, for the most part, people champion celebrate how good they are at, um, adapting to being forgotten and overlooked as a child and they will forget and overlook their own pain um, as an adult woman. Um, And so they, they don't really know how to meet it themselves. A lot of times they don't even have words that this is actually something that they are wanting um, to be cherished, to be seen, to be validated or feel like that validation and that cherishing is going to come external versus internally versus the acknowledgement of who they are as a person. You know, you said something really um, key when you said um, the in- invisibility factor um, and just feeling like I'm, I'm not here. For a lot of the women I work with, it's that. And the invisibility looks like how good I am at taking care of other people. So I'm invisible or I'm acknowledged because I'm so good at um, being the caretaker for mom or siblings or being parentified or um, who I am and being invisible behind my achievements or my accomplishments or my perfectionist ladies out there. That's how I get acknowledged by being so good at something pretty enough, skinny enough, smart enough, funny enough, so be whatever it is, right? And so it's it's bringing all that home and bringing it to light and being okay with that, to not feel like, okay, I'm asking for too much now. I, I want people to see me too and love me too, but I'm not lovable. And that's when we start to hit on those deeper wounds. All right. So you just said something there in terms of deeper wounds that I want to kind of hone in on a little bit. Mm-hmm. This piece about being not lovable. Mm-hmm. And the all of the ways that that implicit message is taken in and absorbed by at the time the child and then carried by the adult who's struggling in relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So talk more about um, where that comes from or yeah. what that looks like. Well, well, how, how yeah. is it that the, you know, the emotional neglect in childhood mm-hmm. becomes that implicit message? Right. So, um, you know, I, I really study the work of Pia Melody and I know that you do as well. And she talked about issues. Every human, every human being um, needs to know and have internalized to be functional, to be whole, to feel secure. And one of those core issues is that you are perfect and um, you have value just for existing. That's the first issue. Um, and if you're not taught that as a young child, if you're taught that you only have value when you're making mama happy, that you only have value when you're being quiet, when you're um, giving me money, when you're taking care of the other kids so I can go and do what I want to do, then you're learning that um, value comes outside of you and it comes from performance. And then if you are, of course, taught the, the opposite of that, that you are a disappointment, that you will never be able to measure up, that um, you're good enough is never good enough, then you are going to have a lower sense of self. And so the, the neglect comes in at where your parent is not valuing you and cherishing you just for being you. That if you make a mistake or if you fall short, that's okay, because that's part of being human. Um, you are still my precious daughter or precious son, depending on um, whoever's listening to this podcast episode. So that's where the the gaps start. So beautifully said. Um, It makes me remember back to an earlier episode where Jan Bergstrom came on, another student of Pia's. And and I believe uh, someone who's a teacher to both me and has been to you as well. Um, And Jan shared a quote by, I think it was Kara Weed, who said that one of the one of the jobs of parents is to reach in and help kind of turn on the spirit of the child? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a light that doesn't come on, and so um, you know we're adaptable as children, right? So we so intuitively we know that there's something that needs to spark that light, and so if it's not our parent that does that, we're going to look for something that's going to affirm us in that way. So for me growing up, it was school. I was very smart. Academics and things came easily to me. I was a mathlete in school. I was like top of my class. I felt very affirmed and safe there because I wasn't getting that light stoked at home. For other people, it could be your body, your sexuality, your look. It could be um, your fitness, your athleticism. It can be your musical Um um, um, ability or art or whatever it is, ability to make money. We all have our things. And so part of it is um, all of those things are great. You know, these are great that these are things that we're talented in, but they're also so fragile and they're so fickle because there will always be someone who's just as talented, if not more talented than us. Um, there may be life opportunities, circumstances that take us from the safe place. And so when we longer have access to that, right? When we get older and our body changes or whatever it might be, now we feel unsafe. Now we feel not enough. Now we're, we're constantly striving for something outside of to make us feel better. And of course, in my, in my niche is relationships. So looking for that ring, looking for that other person to choose you that happily ever after, that's what's going to make me feel secure. And it does not. So, um, 
part of that healing process is returning to yourself and connecting to this part of yourself that you never got to know because it was never modeled to you. You know what? Your parents did not teach you how to look at you and be comfortable and love you. I'm letting the weight of those words just kind of hold us for a minute. Because when you're not taught how to look into yourself, how to appreciate, how to love yourself, that carries over into how you do relationships later. Our early childhood experiences are our very first intimate relationships. And they set the stage for all the other intimate relationships we have. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, absolutely. They're the template. Um, They are the model that we go by. And um, it's interesting because I think sometimes we're aware of that and sometimes we're not. And even when we're aware of it, um, even if we're conscious of it, unless we are just as actively consciously incorporating alternative patterns and clearing out the root that makes that go to go to response, then we're keep repeating it. And I, that's the frustration that a lot of people have when it comes to recurrent relationship issues. Um, so you might know in case your traumas are more overt versus emotional childhood, emotional neglect. Like you might know that, dad wasn't present or mom was really mean or, you know, there was physical or sexual abuse. And so you logically know that. So you're like, okay, I am not going to repeat this in my relationships, but somehow you keep getting with the person that's a narcissist or the cheater or the physically present, but emotionally um, gone or, you know, something. Right. Um, And it's like, what, what is it in me that keeps doing this? Well, it's because we we have to we have to look at those roots, right? We got to start with you. You're the common denominator, and and I think that's just like one of those phrases that people will just repeat and just pop culture and psychoeducation. But I feel like lately I've noticed that it's it's said in a way that will invoke shame. Like you're the problem. Like you're you're the reason why these miserable things are happening to you. And so it's just. Um, evidence and proof of the fact that you are permanently flawed when that's not you have been doing best that you know how your whole life you have been given the the tools that um that were accessible to you and you've been making the most of it and so that doesn't sound like to me someone who's choosing misery it sounds like someone who really wants to to have love to give love to feel loved and you're just needing some outside support. You're just needing language around it so that you can change the trajectory of what's happening in your. So, so here we are, we're back to talking about language. Like mm-hmm. earlier you said, you know, it wasn't until you had the words for it that you were able to release that pressure and confusion. Right. Um, and I, I, you know, I highlighted those words earlier after you said them because, you know, they feel really big. And here now, as we're talking about not having the language for it again, in much of the training that um, that I've done in Pia's method, and you know, I'm imagining this is the case for you too, it's helping to find those words, helping to find the language, helping to reorganize things, that that's where so much impact happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So let me say a little bit about language because I realized I jumped right into it and I didn't say like what the death of love addiction is because that was part of my big struggle. Um, I started my healing work when I was actively a therapist. Um, And I remember when I was first introduced to the term love addiction, I thought it was bullshit. I was like, what the fuck? How can someone be addicted to love? All right. And I was working at a residential treatment center and I was told to do this step work for love addiction with my, my clients. And I was like, I'll do it, but it's because you're telling me to, but I have no idea. And then lo and behold, Oh, this is me, you know, down the road through my Mm -hmm. own work. Right. Um, and so (laughs) I'm giggling because your story and my story are not so, so different. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Like, all right, whatever, just get over it and stop dating bad people. Um, so, um, but one, was able to do my work and I found out what it was really freed me. So love addiction is the persistent session of a person, a fantasy of a person or a relationship and mistaking of, and um, using that in a way to fill those gaps of feeling not enough um, and wanting to heal those internal wounds. The other um, that's also on this um, spectrum is love of words. And so that is the persistent putting up of walls to keep people from um, getting as close. And with a love avoidance, it's this push pull of really wanting to be connected, but actually wanting that independence. So I'm good with you as long as you're about 10 feet away, like give me my space. And both of these are based on traumas, right? Traumas of the love avoidance, you know, maybe having a caregiver, someone who was very intrusive of your boundaries. Um, You learn intuitively or overtly that to be and loving relationship with someone means that they are going to overpower you, dominate you, criticize you. And so as a child, you learn that, well, I don't need that. And so you just, that becomes your template. And so with the love addicts, you're constantly attaching to people who will ultimately leave you. And that's how you recreate your trauma. And so once I had language to what this looks like, and also the different you know, it's kind of, it's interesting teaching this stuff because this is also just language for attachment issues, right? So anxious attachment versus avoidant attachment. But it's, it was interesting learning about this. It really helped me to add the word addiction to it because the level of obsession and crazy extremes I went through, (laughs) gone to in the past to keep a man, to find a man, to chase a man, is insane. And the fact that it was over and over and over again, really was, and it really was this uh, intense overpowering that I could not control, no matter if it put me in danger, my finances in danger, my career in danger. Um, it was something other than me leading me, which I now know to be my trauma response. Right. And, um, And that really helped normalize that there wasn't something wrong with me because I could watch my friends who were either securely attached or maybe insecurely attached, but their breakups and their relationship issues did not seem as um, extreme as mine. And so that reinforced, okay, there's just, I'm just fucked up, right? Um, Versus, no, this is just in the same category as other process addictions and there are solutions for it. You know, one of the things that, that um, I want to highlight in what you're talking about is the intensity, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the part that kind of 
that's the addiction piece. The intensity is the inability to moderate, the inability to kind of stay in this um, in this more manageable place in our relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right. Um, and you know, getting to a place where you have a conscious thought. I mean, as conscious as you can be, like, if I do this, this is going to be the consequence in doing it anyway. Um, feeling so lost. And um, if anyone has struggled with the process addiction, you know, just like almost screaming out into the void, like, I don't want this. Like, help me. Like, somebody, something, help me. Um, because you feel like you cannot help yourself. That That's extreme. Um, and then the pain that's with the with of it, you know, that, that talks I was talking about that, um, my coaching clients through, um, that unveiling, of the wounds that are underneath is so painful, which is why people don't do it, you know, which is why when it comes to love addiction, you know, you'll have someone who goes from relationship to relationship or they'll interchange it out with another addiction. And that's one of the things that I work with my women on. I talk about that trifecta, right? I talk about how the way that we miss the fact that we struggle with this is we will say, okay, you know what? I'm done with men. I'm done with women. I'm done with people, you know, depending on who mm-hmm. you are attracted to. And I'm just going to focus on me. I'm just going to love me. And you'll stop at, you'll go into what we call love anorexia for that. You'll deprive yourself of that, but then you'll start overworking and you'll put in all these hours at work or you'll start um, emotionally eating or you'll start obsessively working out and um, you'll just, you're just redistributing the energy, the intensity till that becomes a problem. And then you'll circle back around to these relationships. And this is the cycle you're in over and over and over again. Thank you for that description. That really makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. For women, um, the women I work with, there's four, that I see the most often it's um, the relationships and, you know, love, sex, whatever it might be um, shopping, food and work are the ones that will navigate the most through. Of course there's others. And then sometimes in problematic drinking, I'm not going to say alcoholism, but definitely coping through wine nights and all of that stuff um, that become more common doing it by yourself. And the common thread in all of these, whether we're talking about love or sex or relationships, whether we're talking about shopping or drinking or some other substance or food or overworking, the common denominator in all of it is the intensity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And losing control. And because none of these things are bad, you know, have as much as you want, date as many people you want, buy the shoes, have, live your life. But it's when you see that there are consequences and there's an inability to stop. Um, and, um, and also that it is triggered by the emotional pain that is underneath that goes from, let me go and treat myself to a new dress um, to, I need this or my life is lacking and I will not be enough without this. And again, that obsession, that intensity around the object. And then when you get it, you're still feeling empty on the other It's never enough, right? And so it's, it's that not enoughness, right? That not enoughness right. that's driving underneath this so that when we, and, and the recovery work is in noticing, in first in noticing that that's the drive underneath. Mm-hmm. And then 
in learning, and, and this is, for me, this has really been a learning edge, um, but in learning that we have our own backs, that we're the ones that we've been waiting for, that we can't find that from somewhere external. We can't find it in the shoes or in the clothes or in the exercise or the people that we love. We have to find that um, having our own back within ourselves. Mm-hmm. That is a phrase repeat repeatedly with my students with my my audience members is we are the ones we're waiting for the way I say it is we are our own superhero we are the ones who are going to swoop in and save us um and I just until you're at a place where you're open for that because (laughs) right now I'm doing like this self-love series with my people and I just remember what was like for me when I learned about self love, mm-hmm. and I would just like roll my eyes. I'm like, oh god, okay, I got it. Love myself. Let's talk about the juicy stuff. Let's talk about the relationship stuff. But and it's because we don't we don't see ourselves as interesting and valuable and as rich as we value other people and other relationships, right? So it's like, let's get through this. Like I really don't care about talking about me because I'm not that cool, you know. Um, but we are. And that's part of that reconciliation that needs to happen too. Yeah. I just had a huge wash of emotion and I'm not exactly sure what it is as you were talking about that. So I'm just going to sit with that for a minute and figure out where it took me. Mm -hmm. I find for, for my clients that this is the work, like what all of the work comes down to is learning how to show up for ourselves, Mm -hmm. learning that we're precious learning to cherish ourselves. Yeah. And that, that isn't, that doesn't have to be synonymous with pushing people away Mm -hmm. because I think boundary work for a lot of folks is scary because boundaries means no, and it means walls and it means I can't be compassionate. I mean that I can't be open. I have to be mean. Right. Um, And that's not what that means. When, when I show up for myself, and when I learn how to love myself, it actually makes it more expansive. Um, I have a business coach who put it in a way that I love, and I say it all the time, which is um, boundaries are not about saying no. It's about having qualifications to your yes. As it comes to you expressing your boundaries, it's saying, I really want to say to you. I really want to be in relationship with you, but this is what I need. And they have an opportunity to meet there or not you are offering an invitation with your boundary and it's not your fault if they choose not to meet you or if they don't want to, or if they can't, you know, I can still honor you and love you for who you are and see very clearly that this is not where the state that you can show up for me right now. And so I can offer grace there and I can also love and take care of me. Mm, I love how you put that, that the boundary is not just about, I mean, it is, it's that respectful place of saying, I want to be in relationship with you. And this is what I need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It could be both, you know, um, you know, and this works. There's a tricky part in there. Often about. Right? Mm -hmm. There's a tricky part because I, and I think for, I'm thinking of my clients right now. The -hmm. tricky part is acknowledging what you need because that's the big lie. The big lie is that you don't know what you need. Mm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, you don't know what you need, or it's too hard to figure out what you need, or someone else knows better than you, or what you need is that external thing that I was talking about before, whatever 
safe place of validation was for you. So I just need more of whatever that is. I need more love. I need more sex, more degrees. I need more money. Um, whatever it is. Um, but no, it, it is you and it's learning how to make a decision and give voice to, to what you actually want. Um, I was actually telling folks in like a recent little webinar masterclass I have is that what I find is people, when I ask people what they want, I never get the full answer, no matter where they are in their level of health, if they're a client of mine is you, I usually get anywhere between 20 to 80%. And of course the 20% are the people who are not used to thinking and loving on themselves. But even the women who do talk about this and they've done their work, I'll get at most maybe 80% because there's always that part that they're super afraid to, to acknowledge, to make real by saying out loud. What if I say it and it doesn't come true? What if I say it and I find out I'm not deserving of it? Or um, people don't want to give it to me and then I'm left out, right? Um, that fear is so prevalent and it's, it's a constant like unwrapping of that and healing each of those layers actually get to the core you. There are so many places to go with that. Um, and it's this unwrapping, it's this unraveling um, to get to the core that can be a lifetime's worth of work. And there are so many different ways that we get blinded to what that work is and to, to where that work begins for us. You know, we're talking right now of a lot of the teachings of PM Melody. Um, I'd like to just kind of bring in or call in some of the teachings of um, one of my other teachers, Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, and she talks a lot about willful blindness and how we are conditioned in so many different ways societally um, culturally to go through this world with blinders on, to not see the things that we know that are right in front of us. Um, and so, you know, it makes us sort of complicit, not in a shame, shaming way, but, um, when, when we keep our eyes closed, when we don't see how all these messages blend together, uh, then we're also not taking our power back. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're missing opportunities. But I mean, like you said, like with the blinders on, often we don't, we don't know that. We don't right. know that these are missed opportunities unless it's highlighted for us. And even then it takes a while to, to believe it. Because if I actually believe that there are, are systems or um, things that have been happening around me that I have been aware of my whole life, then there's a grief of what I've missed. And sometimes that's too overwhelming to to look at, and sometimes it just takes time to to acknowledge it. Yeah, that grief is really big and so important. Connecting, actually, I, I believe, connecting to that grief and connecting to that pain is, on one hand, what so many are afraid of, and on the other hand, the portal to healing. Oh my gosh, there's so much freedom. There's mm-hmm. freedom. Like once once you get over that initial wash of overwhelm like oh my god um, that then <laughs> it's just like oh now I get to feel angry and I feel frustrated I get to feel sad but I also finally get to feel happy and I also yeah. get to feel full and I actually finally get to connect to people because I don't have that invisible film that I've had to have over all of me my whole life to keep me safe that's gone now 
Yeah, one of my favorite emotions that I didn't connect to until I started doing recovery work in this way is joy pain. You know that feeling? Mm, tell me more. So it's it's that place where like I'm really connected to the pain of of what this is, and I'm also holding on to the joy of what this is opening. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. I think that totally comes when you know that it's temporary and it's not always gonna be this way. And you've had a taste of freedom and that happiness and peace can also be your normal. Mm-hmm. So now when I feel emotions, I don't have all this attachment or double meaning to it that this is going to be my forever or I'm going to drown in it, right? It's like, no, I can be here and it's safe to be here. Yeah. It's safe. It's safe to settle into this place where I can just be in, in all of me. I can mm-hmm. hold all my imperfections. I can hold, have my own back. I can protect myself. I can know my own worth, my own preciousness that I matter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Where I can express my own needs and do it moderately, right? Those are all the five core issues. So to to be able to develop those skills um, is huge and it, it is opening and inviting of so much more. The the blinders that we were talking about before, I think in in many ways, we're conditioned from birth to um, maybe even preceding our birth. Uh, because we we have to recognize in many ways that the carried emotions, the burdens that we all hold, many of which are historical that we're looking to unravel and, and break free from, that many of those are generational. They, they are passed down through the generations. And um, so I wonder if this is maybe a, a good time to also talk about the impact of generational and racial trauma and how it all gets entwined in this work. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I started my journey with black girls. Hill. I actually had a platform at first that was um, multicultural um, I had a podcast called love janky and all that. And um, it took me some time to um, get to where I felt comfortable focusing on African-American women themselves. And this is important for my answer to you because that was totally um, because of racial trauma. Mm-hmm. It was totally a, um, a result of being in an environment growing up where um, I did not have access to a lot of people in my inner circle who looked like me. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, assimilation and the overt and the covert racism that happens when all of your friends are white and Asian and the need to water down your blackness to, to, to be accepted um, or to show that you're the exception um, because I didn't have again, examples of, um, of other black people embracing all of who we are and the richness, richness of who we are. So, so with that said, um, that type of trauma, racial trauma and all the different caveats of it, all the different ways that it shows up is definitely, um, present in us, um, especially for black Americans where we have generations and generations of, um, the impact of slavery and oppression and systemic racism and lack of access to things, the, even the prevalence of, um, 
you know, we, we as black people have a very, we go by our feelings and our intuitive senses um, a lot. And I believe I haven't seen this anywhere, but I, I believe that that's also just by impact of racial trauma as needing to be able to suss out very quickly if someone is for me or not for me, even if they're smiling in my face, are they dangerous or they're not dangerous? Um, and so the Resma's work really talks about that. Resma Menekin. Yes. Yes. His work talks about this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he talks about that kind of use of your senses and that somatic, um, way of knowing. Yes. Yes. And listening to the ancestors that are with us at all time. Yeah. His work is phenomenal and transformative and I love it. So, um, See how connect this to love addiction. I think. Um, my, my can I can I pop in yeah. for one minute? Um, yeah. My my sense here is mm-hmm. it connects right back to love addiction because one of the things that the trauma, the racial trauma through generations, does is it dehumanizes people, it devalues people, and so we're now going right back to this: "Am I worthy?" place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think the way that I've explored it most and in my work is what we're taught generationally versus the cement impact, which I'm sure is there. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest and say I've given more impact or given more thought to what it looks like with the messages. So I yeah. think about how, um, you know, for people who have generations back here in America, um, slavery ancestors who were in slavery, um, just the disruption of the family unit. So the the trauma that wasn't put on us um, to not have connection, to have implicit or explicit abandonment um, and trauma that way that's passed down. I think about um, broken homes due to the impact of that, um, the over-incarceration of Black bodies, um, the overkilling of Black bodies, which also is disrupting um, our family systems. And so we have a lot of patterns of people who don't have the opportunity to see the positive role models, to see people able to not only survive, but thrive in these areas Um, for them to be exceptions sometimes versus the rule. And I know it's different depending on where people grow, but still this is just part of history. And we talk about, okay, well, how am I supposed to now as a person living in 2020 supposed to know how to have a positive relationship if I haven't had the the blessing of secure attachment styles. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that um, is most common in my work, you asked about a common thread that I see and I said childhood yeah. emotional neglect. Um, another really common thread is the, the discord between mothers and daughters. Um, and you know, a lot of people will colloquial, they'll say um, daddy issues. They'll say, well, she's she's struggling with this because she has daddy issues. No matter her sexual orientation, it's always daddy issues. Um, but really, it's about our mother issues because that is our first relationship. Um, that's what I consistently see. And when I think about the stress that Black women have had to have for the most part um, to keep the family intact, to put food on the table to make everybody happy, to care. Has there ever been enough time for us to not have to pick up the strong black um, 
stereotype. And if I'm too busy being strong and I'm teaching my children to be strong and I'm helping my community stay strong, when do I have the opportunity to be emotionally available, to be emotionally vulnerable, to connect, um, and to teach my children how to do that as well? No, I'm, I'm teaching you how to survive. I'm teaching you how to not worry happens when that racist things happens to you in school when you're four or five years old. I'm teaching you how to navigate keeping safe when someone denies us service or doesn't give us um, a house loan or all the things that you see very early as a child that you should not have access to. And she's teaching you how to be resilient in that. But to be that woman, she's had to learn how to compartmentalize her own emotions as well. And that's the stuff that gets passed down. So I learned that it's harder for me to be to access my emotions, that emotions are kind of good to know for my intuitive sense. But as far as leaning into it, is it really safe? How is that going to impact me in the relationships that I'm in? Um, if, I'm, if I don't have any muscle memory or templates to show me what it looks like to be vulnerable and um, to tell people what I need um, and to not have to be strong or on the defense or independent um, where that no matter what happens to me, I'm still going to keep going. And just how that radiates throughout our communities. And so with, with the women that I serve, you know, I'm only working with um, women um, at this point. I, I'm constantly trying to teach them how to access that inner part of themselves, that it's okay to be vulnerable, that you can still be strong and smart and, and open and still connect to that part of yourself. And also um, that not every relationship is a threat. And I think that's a byproduct, not only of love addiction, I think any woman of any race, that is something that they have to learn because that's what happens when you've had trauma that has hurt you before. Yeah. But I think it's emphasized by being black in America yeah. or being black really across the world. Um, and just the anti-blackness that um, radiates in everywhere, <laughs> no matter, no matter where you are. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I, I can't, I, I'm, I'm in full agreement with everything that you've said. Just, yes. I like, amen. And, um, you know, as much as we can hope that the world improves and changes and gets better, the truth is that this is history and this is embedded in uh, genetics and it's what's passed down generation by generation. And so it's just a reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So to go back to restless work, um, you know, a, a good way to connect to that is when I'm intuitively feeling like this relationship is a danger because, you know, once we get past the the love addiction and all the negative issues, no matter where you are now, it's time for you to start to learn how to connect to people. And that's when people's fear comes up. That's when um, it's like, I don't know how to do this. The what ifs, what if they change their mind? What if they're not good? What if I get hurt? Um, it's about learning. Okay. Is this actually my voice or is this the voice of someone else? Mm-hmm. And sometimes someone else can be people from your past who've been hurt, might be seen, and sometimes they can be the voice of the ancestors who have gone through a lot of pain and they're just trying to protect you or share their stories. And it's about getting connected to all of that, um, to yourself and the generations prior Yeah, to see what, what's actually true. And then being able to choose from there, to choose which wisdom or where you take wisdom from. 
There are so many times when I'm working with couples who are struggling in different ways and there, there's often a form of love addiction or love avoidance um, showing up where I, I suddenly hear something that they say, like, um, I have to carry the burden of this and it wasn't mine. Mm-hmm. And that statement, although I know they're placing it in the here and now in their relationship, it, I just have an intuitive sense that it's older. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, I'll ask them to close their eyes and I'll say something like, let me just repeat these words back to you. How old are you? And they're like three years old, five mm-hmm. years old, seven years old. You know, they're young. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we carry isn't ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, and it doesn't make, let me see how to say this. It doesn't make the pain any less real. Um, and I say that because, because one of the things that I teach people how to do is to stop blocking the emotion that you really have to lean into it to be able to sense, is this mine or is this someone else's? Is this old or is this about my adult relationship? Um, so you have to understand and lean into the pain for you to do with it. Yes. It is harder. Yeah, go ahead. go ahead. No, I was just going to add just a little bit to that and, and either let it go and, you know, forgive who you need to forgive, um, bless your ancestor or your mother or your father, whoever went through this and saying, you know, I'm releasing this shame to you. I'm releasing this to you. This is no longer mine, whatever it might be, or use it to make your next decision. Use it to form whatever the new boundary is. Use it to give to yourself what you're asking your partner to give to you. That is not actually their responsibility because they can't, or even if they could, part of your healing is learning how to give it to yourself. Um, because your resentment is around being so dependent on other people to be this bridge for you. Yeah. There, so, so there's, there's, there's two key pieces there, right? One of them is that rightful assignment of responsibility that, um, that taking, giving back what's not yours and taking on what is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in the giving back, it's, it's the unblending, you know, it's, it's the, um, because I think this is, this is actually really tricky for people to understand how to do this part of the work. In, in the giving back, um, it's, it's getting in touch with, you know, you put this on me, it's not mine. And it's actually a gift for me to give it back to you. Even if it's just energetic, it's a gift for me to give it back to you. Now you get to deal with it and you get to do that healing work and I can focus on doing my healing work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been a really nice conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being open to it and oh, inviting so me to be a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, I'm really glad to have this conversation. Um, and, you know, I think that one of the biggest takeaways that I'm taking from our time together, it's, it's actually, it's so much um, from kind of looking at 
the trifecta of how all of this shows up in our relationships to noticing how um, <clears throat> our early family trauma, especially our relationships with our mother, those, those discords lean into us not really having the language around what happened and what didn't. And when we find those words, we can really create more of the release and um, get more clear on how to have healthier relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as you mentioned, the mother, I think, actually connect to each other in a more, um, in a, in a more restorative way, in a more healthier way. Um, I see one or two things that happen with my, with my, with my ladies, um, my adult women. So either at this point in their life, them and their mothers are closer, you know, they've, they've gone through the stress and discord they did when they were young women. And now for whatever reason, mother is more able to connect to her as a person, she, how she could as a child and now the And so getting in touch with this, you're actually able to move past that pain and forgive the things that happened so that you can actually connect even more to your mother and then for the women who, if your mother's still living, you know, there's still that discord and distance there. Um, the forgiveness serves a different aspect where, like you were saying earlier, you're able to release and give back the things that she gave to you without having the, the hatred or the resentment and the pain that it takes to keep that barrier, right? It takes yeah. a lot of energy to have a wall that's filled by, you're going to hurt me, danger, danger. Um, versus one that's from that intuitive, like inner boundary, that invitational, I want to be in relationship with you, mom, but this is what I need from you. Right. I've been, I've been reframing that wall as a wall of Teflon, right? So Mm -hmm. there's very much that, you know, I want to be in relationship and this is what I need. And also if I have this, this boundary of this Teflon boundary, if something comes at it, that doesn't work for me, it just slides right off of it. And Mm -hmm. I just don't need to give it more energy. Yeah. 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 Um, So can you talk to us a little bit about your recovery school? Can you tell us um, about the offerings that you have there for black women? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the recovery school is our signature program and it's open a few times a year. Um, And so for three months, I take women on a deep dive of unlearning um, what they have had as part of their life pattern. So we'll do a detox that they need to do a detox, but I teach them tools on how to get grounded, to get connected to themselves, um, to build the vision. We start working on that voice about what it is that they want from their lives, um, look at the family roots, and also start practicing connecting to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, you know, they have access to me. So there's that. Um, Right now, I know that this um, podcast is evergreen, but we are, um, we have a self-love intensive where I'm going through that self-love stuff that people just love to talk about, um, which is, of course, sarcasm. Um, But the (laughs) importance of, (laughs) I'm spending a lot of time educating my folks right now, like, you neglect yourself, or you see the issues and your boundaries and your deprivation and things are not working right for you because you're the common denominator. So we're doing that right now. And it's um, a three month um, intensive where I'm taking women on looking at the parts of themselves that self-sabotage and get in the way, how to heal from deprivation getting out of fantasy. Fantasy really is a you thing versus a relationship thing. 
And um, also my mini program for everybody, even though it's under Black Girls Heal, because it's self-study, is the Healed and Loved Woman. And so um, also incorporate some of Pia Melody's work, but looking at what are the qualities of a Healed and Loved Woman. She's able to access her voice and use it. She's able to connect to other people and learn to love them and also be open to receiving love herself and things like that. So those are three of our main programs for anyone to participate in. Wonderful. And we will include links in our show notes. So those who are interested can just check out the show notes and click click a link and find their way right to your work. Yes, I am. Sheena, thank you so much for joining us. I have really enjoyed this conversation, this time spent with you, and I hope our listeners enjoy it as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I wanted to remind you that October 24th and 25th of 2020, I will be co-facilitating an Essential Skills Relationship Bootcamp. Join us for a two-day online weekend relational boot camp for couples, individuals, and also for therapists who are training in the relational life model. Through a combination of lecture, role play, small group exercises, and personal work, this workshop will help you to attain the relationships that you want in your life. Therapists can come to participate in this workshop and learn firsthand the tools and techniques that you will ultimately teach your own clients. There's no observation for therapists at this workshop. Everyone's a participant, so come either on your own or with your own partner. Relational Life Therapists in Training may count attending this boot camp towards certification requirements, and CEs will be available. Find more information at connectfulness.com offerings. I hope you'll join me. A reminder, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. Learn more about my counseling practice, intensives, and our collective for therapists in private practice at connectfulness.com. Listeners often ask how they can support the ongoing production of the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Truly, the best way that you can is to simply subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I want to express deep gratitude for Sarah and Chris Farris, the musicians behind the beautiful soundtrack for the Connectfulness Practice Podcast, which was recorded and mixed at Kidneystone Studio. This podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, and copyrighted by Connectfulness Counseling. Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com events.